thanks to uh, Cliff and Carter. Thank you very much. Wonderful ministry to us. I have something um, a little bit special this morning, and I, I just want to let all of you know I've had the privilege of writing a series of commentaries on the New Testament, and I just got the latest one back from the publisher on Matthew chapter 8 through 15. It's a rather long process through Matthew. It'll probably wind up being four volumes. And when I was thinking about who I might dedicate this volume to, the Lord uh, directed my heart to a really a lifelong friend. And uh, I've dedicated this to somebody we all know and love, Dr. John Stead. John. It says to Dr. Johnstead, my partner in ministry at the Master's College and my lifelong friend. You have to understand, we go way back together. And uh, some of you probably know we went to high school together. And John was a quarterback. He used to pitch the ball to me, let me do my thing. And I was the tailback. We played basketball together. And uh, we played baseball together. We really kind of grew up spiritually together. We went away to college for a year, and I could tell you every bizarre story about this guy. See me in private, and I'll, uh, I'll be happy to do that. <laughs> but uh, I really am thankful the Lord worked in his life. You know, when he got out of college, it took him a long time. I don't know how long he was in college, but you don't want to try to break the record. Um, he came out, and I remember he went into selling Johnson's wax. Isn't that right? And I used to drive around in a big station wagon with the rear end of it full of Johnson's wax. He just never seemed to type to me. And I was so glad when he went back, got a master's degree and a Ph.D. and wound up teaching. And then when he came here and wound up here, and of course I had no idea that God would bring us back together. And I'm just so grateful for that and for his friendship. And I couldn't help but think also when um, Paul was talking about Brazil, about a recent trip that I had to Brazil. And... That is a country that's really on my heart. When I came back from Brazil, I couldn't even preach a sermon in the church. I, I just had to talk about what I had experienced. Really overwhelmed by what I saw down there. Very sophisticated, very, very modern culture. And yet you'd be driving along the road and you'd have to stop and detour around a pile of food in the middle of the street with about five or six candles around it all lit to some spirit. And you couldn't dare go near that kind of stuff. In fact, they even light cigars to spirits for the spirits to smoke. I'm not sure how that works. But um, incredibly, incredibly pagan society and yet very, very sophisticated in terms of modern culture. I was in the city of Sao Paulo. They finish a new skyscraper there of 25 floors or more once a week massive amount of people 12 million people living in this small area and a tremendous tremendous burden filled my own heart to somehow be able to reach the land of brazil and we were able to hold some pastors conferences and to see god bless in some wonderful ways down there and that's always been a, a great concern to my own heart so I, I join you in praying for brazil Along the theme of our missions conference, I just want to share from my heart with you a little bit out of Acts chapter 1. You might want to open your Bible to the first chapter of Acts. 
And I just want to talk a little bit about missions from the perspective of this tremendous chapter. What we do in terms of serving the Lord Jesus Christ is a great, has a great deal to do with how we perceive that, okay? In other words, if I look at ministry, if I look at witnessing, if I look at some opportunity for Christian service as something I have to do to fulfill a requirement, then I'm going to approach it in a certain way. If I look at ministry or mission endeavor as something I have to do because I want people to think I'm spiritual, I want to do it in a certain way. If I look at ministry as something that I have to do because God might hit me in the back of the head with his big supernatural stick, if I don't do it, I'm going to approach it in a certain way. But there's a totally different way to approach ministry. And when I learned this, it just totally changed my whole perspective. And that's what I want you to notice here. Let me just give you a little bit of introduction to it. One time I was traveling in Europe and I went to the city of Rome. And I've always been kind of in awe of, of people who are great artists. I went to the Vatican. I went through the whole Vatican art gallery. I went to the Sistine Chapel. I stood there with my neck bent up to see this incredible masterpiece that Michelangelo did on the Sistine Chapel, which is a flat, flat ceiling that looks like it's arched and curved in all kinds of directions because he had this incredible ability to, to paint. I saw the statues of Raphael and Bernini, and you go all through Rome, and there are statues everywhere, and the, the birds pay more attention to them than anybody else does. They're sufficiently decorated, you know, with years and years of uh, pigeon activity, to put it mildly. Um, and they sort of sit, you know, they just sit in the middle of ponds and pools, and I went to Trevi Fountain, you know, the, the famous fountain with the old song, Three Coins in the Fountain, all this tremendous artwork. I had occasion also to go into a museum and see the, some of the paintings of Rembrandt. And I've always been in awe of that because I can't even draw a happy face, you know. I mean, I just have absolutely no talent when it comes to that. And it fascinates me. And I could imagine myself, you know, I, I remember looking at the Pieta and things like that, St. Mary's Church there in Rome. And, and I could imagine myself, you know, being the janitor in the shop of some great sculptor and having him say to me, you know, I've got to be out of town for a few weeks and I've been sculpting this angel. Could you just finish the face? <laughs> sure. Two dots and a smile, you know. Um, I would never touch my hand to a, something begun by Michelangelo. I mean, I wouldn't do it. Or if, if Rembrandt said to me, I'm almost done with this portrait. I just haven't quite got the eyes. I'll be gone. Would you just finish the eyes? No way. I would never lay my hand to anything that was a masterpiece. I'd mess it up. That's a frightening thought. Or for some person who's crafting some beautiful thing out of wood to say to me, look, here's my chisel and my little knife. Could you just whittle off the finishing touches? No way. In other words, the point is, I don't want to put my hand, which is as clumsy as imaginable, to any masterpiece at all. All I would do is adulterate the thing. And yet, most incredibly, get this in your mind, Jesus Christ has asked me to finish the work that he began. Can you grab that thought? Look at verse 1. The former treatise, that's a reference to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the writer of Acts, as he was of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke says, the former treatise, that is the Gospel of, of Luke, have I made 
Oh, Theophilus. Theophilus is either a proper name, Theophilus, or it's friend of God, if you translate it, whether he's talking to a man named Theophilus or some friend of God, also a friend of his, we don't know. But assuming it's a proper name, he says, I wrote the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, about all that Jesus, what's the next word? What is it? Began. Now, as Christians, evangelical, fundamental, Bible-believing Christians, we like to talk about the finished work of Christ, right? You ever hear your pastor talk about the finished work of Christ? On the cross, Jesus said, Te telestai, it is what? Finished. And we say, praise God, the work is finished. On the cross, he finished the work of redemption. And we celebrate the finished work of Christ. But listen, there is the unfinished work of Christ. That's what he only what? He only what? Began. The work he only began to do and teach. And it's the work of passing on the gospel. He only began that. And here he passed the baton to his disciples. And the disciples passed the baton to a next generation and a next generation and a next generation. And somehow it's in my hand. And what I do in ministry is not the work of John MacArthur, and it's not the work of Grace Community Church, and it's not the work of the Master's College. It's the work of whom? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm picking up his tools to finish his masterpiece. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to contain it. But he only started the work and he hands the tools to us. Incredible perception. How do you view what you do? I mean, you're going to go out this week on Campus Conquest and, and Baja and all these other things, I care and whatever. And how is your perception of that? Are you saying, well, I have to do this because everybody has to do this if they want to be spiritual. Or I have to do this because uh, it's a good thing to do this and uh, it's, it's going to make me a better Christian if I do this. Or I have to do this because after all... Uh, I don't want to be left out. I, I want to belong. But do you really perceive what it is you're doing? What you're doing is finishing the work that who began? Jesus Christ. That's a pretty lofty calling. I remember years ago reading about the building of uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. I don't know if any of you happen to have been to England have seen it. It's, it's a marvelous masterpiece designed by a man named Christopher Wren who uh, designed and oversaw the building of that great church, St. Paul's. And there was an article in the London Times when it was being built. A reporter went out and he was talking to these guys. They built it all out of stone. You know, they hand cut the stone and stick the stone in and pile the stone on and just keeps going higher and higher. And he asked the first guy, what are you doing? He said, I'm sticking the stone in the spot. What do you think I'm doing? He asked the second guy, what are you doing? He said, I'm earning a living trying to feed my family. He asked a third guy doing the same thing. He said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral. See, it's all a question of perspective. You can look at your service to Christ as some kind of a mundane task. You can look at it as some means to a personal end. Or you can look at it as participating in the building of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. How do you perceive what you do? And if you perceive it that way, you're not going to look at this week and say, well, I think I'll just flake off. I think I'll go home and see my folks. I... I think I better work. I, I mean, I, they don't need me. Listen, what an inestimable privilege. What an incredible privilege to be able to put your hand to the tools to finish what Jesus began. Isn't that marvelous? 
I mean, this is not some human work. I mean, if you want to go off and do some dumb thing when you could be a part of finishing the work that Jesus began, so be it. I mean, you can make that choice. But um, that's not the choice I would make. To finish the thing that Jesus began. You say, well, now, wait a minute. I don't have the ability to do that. How am I going to do that? Well, imagine this. Imagine that I'm the janitor and... Michelangelo's studio and he says I want you to finish the face of this angel and because I know you don't know how to do it I'll hold your hands and I'll put my hands on your hands and uh, I'll just move your hands and wouldn't that be a thrill and when it was all done and it was perfect just the way it ought to be you'd say uh, I did that under the direct control of the artist himself or if Rembrandt took hold of the brush and my hand on the brush and said now I'm going to move your hand and as I move your hand We'll finish this together. Listen, you never go out to finish the unfinished work of Christ and do it in your own strength, right? Look back at this chapter again. First of all, verse 2 says, Now remember, the disciples are going out to do what Jesus began. And it says in verse 2 that until the day in which he was taken up, until he ascended into heaven... After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, listen carefully. Before Jesus ever ascended into heaven, before he ever left them, he made sure that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gave them commandments. In other words, to prepare them for the work, he put them through a time of what? Teaching. When you and I go out to finish the unfinished work of Christ, we don't go with ignorance. We've been taught. We've been trained. We know the truth. In a very real sense, Christ has placed his hands on us. He's moving us by virtue of the truth that dwells within us. And then in verse 3, I would just add, he also says here he had showed himself alive to them by many infallible proofs over a period of 40 days and the whole time spoke to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You're never asked to go out and represent Jesus Christ until he has properly prepared your heart shown himself to you given you the right message young people you have what it takes you can do it you have seen the risen Christ not with the eye of your physical body but with the eye of faith Christ is real to you you know him you've walked with him you've talked with him furthermore you've been taught the word of God sufficiently to bring it to someone who doesn't know Christ you can do what Jesus began because he's given you himself in personal faith, a relationship in which he lives within your heart. He's given you his word in teaching. And then there's one other thing in verse 5. Verse 4, he says, um, don't go anywhere. Now, get this thought. They were assembled together. The Lord is with them. He commanded them that they shouldn't leave Jerusalem. It's very interesting, isn't it? He says, now, uh, I want you to finish the work I began. I uh, have spent all these 40 days teaching you. I have shown you myself in resurrection life. So you have a personal relationship with me. You know I'm alive. You know the truth. Now, don't do anything. Don't go anywhere. And this is sort of like a restraint. This is just putting the reins and pulling them in. And you ask yourself, well, if they have seen the risen Christ and if they have been taught about the kingdom, why aren't they ready to go? He says, don't go anywhere, but wait for the promise of the Father. What's the promise of the Father? 
The promise of the Father is the coming of whom? The Holy Spirit. And he says, For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, young people, here's where the Lord's hand really puts itself on your hand. Because when you go out to finish the work that Jesus began, you do so in the power of whom? The Holy Spirit. You have with the eye of faith seen the risen Christ. You have been taught the truth. And now you are energized by the power of the Spirit of God. And when that takes place, you're ready to go. And we'll jump down to verse 8 and see what he says. But you shall receive what? Power after the Holy Spirit is what? Has come on you. Let me ask you a question. Does every Christian possess the Holy Spirit? Sure. Romans 8 9 says if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Conversely, if you belong to Christ, you possess the Holy Spirit. What do you mean by that? Well, the Spirit of God is God, the third person of the Trinity, living in you. Moving in you. And that's an incredibly marvelous thing. Because you go out to communicate Christ in the power, not of the flesh, but of God. All you need. You want to finish the work Christ began? You need the proper vision of Christ. You have that through faith in Him. You've received Him. You know Him. You walk with Him. You need to understand the message you're going to give. You understand the message. You've been taught the Word of God. And you need to be energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's an incredible thing to be moving under the power of the Spirit of God because God puts you and directs you exactly where He wants you to go. This happens all the time to a committed Christian. It's just a way of life. Just a way of life. I remember a friend of mine one time walking across an intersection in L.A. And the, uh, the policeman was in the middle of the intersection, you know, directing traffic. And he held up the traffic for the pedestrians to go a certain way. And my friend thought to himself, you know... I feel impressed somehow to witness to this policeman. And he had on some of those mirror glasses, you know, he's a big guy, big cop. And my friend said, I, I just felt impressed to witness the guy. And I thought, that's ridiculous. I'm going across the street in about a minute. How can I witness to him? That must be the flesh telling me that. That's not God. And then he said, no, I wouldn't be telling that to myself. That must be God. So he said, I walked right up to the policeman, looked up into his glasses and said, I don't know why I'm asking you this, sir, but do you know Jesus Christ? And the policeman stepped back a step, my friend said, and said to me, How in the world did you know I've been considering that? My friend pulled a tract out of his pocket, handed it to him, and never saw him again in his life. I mean, to get into the flow of what the Holy Spirit is doing. I mean, that's really living. It's incredible. I mentioned last night, a man walked up to me after the Sunday morning service yesterday. He said, I'm 71 years old. He was weeping. Tears were coming down his cheeks. He said, I'm 71 years old. Um, he said to me, he hadn't even been to the church service, right? He walked in after the service was over and was going to come to the next service. But he walked up to me and said, I, I, I want to know Jesus Christ. You know, your reaction to that is, you do? Just like that? He said, I'm 71 years old. I've been in a Catholic church every Sunday since I was seven years old. I want to know Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being in church for 64 years and never knowing the Christ that's supposed to be represented by that church? 
so he received Christ. And afterwards he came up to me and he had a little Bible and, and it was the Catholic Bible. And people were telling him, don't read the middle part, you know. And so we, everybody was trying to help him. He said, that Bible's okay, just stay out of the middle, you know. But anyway, he, uh, he said to me, he was just real, real excited. And he was, said, this is my, he was really genuinely excited. And he said, I, I got to go home. I live in Baltimore, Maryland, he said. I just came out here for a week. He said, I got to go back. I've been in the same parish church for 37 years. What am I going to tell my wife? I'm going to go back and tell my wife. I've been gone a week. I became a Protestant. What am I going to tell my wife? He says. <laughs> I said, I think the Lord will help you with that. But you don't want to talk about brands. You just want to talk about how Christ transformed your life. Yeah, that's it. That's it, he said. I mean, when you're just living your life and available to see the Spirit of God work. In a very real sense, you know, I used to illustrate it like a glove. You, as a Christian, you're like a glove. Now, what does a glove do all by itself? It doesn't do anything. You put a glove here and say, glove, play the piano. What happens? Nothing happens. Glove can't play the piano. But what happens if I put my hand in that glove and play the piano? Chaos, because I can't play the piano. But <laughs> I better find another illustration. With it. But... Uh, you know, the, the, I never met a glove that says, oh, hand, show me the way to go. No, gloves just go. They don't hassle, they just go. And a spirit-controlled believer is in the flow of what God wants to accomplish. You get a little bit of a taste of that, and you just can't believe how thrilling and exciting it is to live that way. And I believe with all my heart that if you are available to the Spirit of God... As those who know the Lord Jesus, who know the Word, and you go out this week in the energy of the Spirit of God, He's going to direct you exactly and precisely where He wants you to go to plant the seed or to harvest the seed or to water the seed in just the way He wants you to do it. You see, the Christian life is not a, it's not a question of how successful am I, it's a question of how available am I. Success belongs to God. Availability is our part, isn't it? You say, well, someday I'm going to do that. I really am. Well, let's look at verse 8 again. He says, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses. And this is the direct result of the Spirit's power in witnessing. And then he says, you know this, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world. In other words, you start where you are, right? You're a witness. You say, I don't want to be a witness. You're a witness anyway. You're a witness. You're giving some kind of testimony for Christ. You say, what is a witness? Well, that's someone who saw something and tells about it. For me, it goes back to uh, when I think about being a witness, I remember when I had to be a witness in court. I was called in on an attempted murder case because I had witnessed an attempted murder. Um, it sort of went like this. One day I was in the office of the church some years back. And it was my father's church when I was still a seminary student. I was associate pastor there working with young people. And somebody ran in, a little secretary ran in and said, there's a fight in the parking lot, there's a fight in the parking lot, come quickly. And so, you know, I ran out the door of the church, and sure enough, there was one guy lying on the ground and two guys kicking him. Big guys. Turned out later they were uh, rugby players and uh, dock workers, stevedores, you know. Kind of guys that carry big loads down on the docks. Massive guys. One was 6'4", 250, the other was about 6'3", 245. Huge guys. They had this one little wimpy guy lying on the ground. And uh, they were kicking him really hard in the face and the chest and all this. So I came out the door of the church and I stepped right into this thing. You know, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a difficult situation, right? 
So I said, uh, hey, you guys, break it up. I put on my authoritative face, and uh, they didn't do anything. They didn't pay any attention to me at all. So I thought, well, maybe they didn't see me, you know. So I walked toward them, and the closer I got, the bigger they got, big guys. And I heard one of them say, kill him, kill him. And I realized this isn't a fight, this is a murder. And here I am saying, break it up. So immediately I realized that I was in over my head. So I turned around, the secretary was standing in the door, and I said, call the police. And so she, she goes in there, and uh, these guys turned and saw me and started toward me. And uh, started walking toward me, and I just instinctively started walking backwards, you know. <laughs> I just started walking backwards, and I kept going back, and, and I got to the door of the church, you know, and I was tempted to just jump in and go, King's X, you know, this is a church. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just kept backing into the church. I got inside the, the threshold, and they came in. And um, I said, you guys are in real trouble. The police are coming, and I was hoping that they would. I'll never forget my dad at that time, who was the pastor, walked out, didn't know what was going on, and he was sort of dignified. He says, what's going on here? And he walked right up to these guys. He really didn't know what was going on, and this one guy hit him right in the mouth with a shot from the right arms. And his glasses went flying, and he hit the deck. And he quickly picked up his glasses and went back in the office, you know. <laughs> and I was standing there. And, you know, you really get upset when a guy hits your father, right? So then I said to him, now you are in trouble. The police are coming. Anyway, they got the message and they panicked. They threw the guy over a hedge up against the building and they took off down the street. I ran out of the building to chase the car to get the license. And I pulled my pen out and I'm writing the license, you know. And I got it down. And about a half an hour later, the police got there. The guy was trying to crawl out of the bush, and he lived, but they were trying to murder this guy. And I had to go to court, and it was a very interesting experience. I got up on the stand, and these two guys were sitting there glaring at me, you know. And um, they asked me, interestingly enough, they asked me, what did you see, what did you hear, and what did you feel? Because they had taken a swing at me in the process, although they only landed a glancing blow. What did you see? What did you hear? And what did you feel? That qualified me to be a witness. It reminded me of 1 John 1, that which we have seen and that which we have heard and that which our hands have handled concerning the word of life declare we unto you. So I realized what a witness is, somebody who talks about what he's seen and heard and felt and what Jesus is really asking of us as he did of his disciples, is that they go out and simply tell what they saw, what they heard, and what they felt in terms of a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you qualify for that? To be able to tell the difference between the doctrine of the amusio and sublapsarianism, infralapsarianism, and a Labrador retriever. You don't know all the theological ins and outs. You may not be able to discuss every apologetic for every issue biblically. But if you have seen and heard and felt the power of Christ in your life, and if you yield to the Spirit of God, you're going to have the greatest adventure in the world. Because God's going to use you. He's going to use you with power. So to finish the work that Jesus began starts by having had a personal relationship with Christ, by having been taught the Word of God, by being filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit, and by being willing to open your mouth and talk about what you've seen and heard and felt. And so somebody says, why should I do this? And what happens next? When he had spoken these things, verse 9, 
while they were looking on, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. All of a sudden, Jesus took off. And when they were looking steadfastly unto heaven, two angels appeared, two men stood by in white apparel. This is getting interesting. One going up, two are coming down. Christ ascending, angels descending. And the angel said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. What's that all about? The reason we serve Jesus Christ is because he's what? He's coming back, right? That's our motive. That's our motive. You say, well, in what way does the second coming motivate us? Because when he comes back, Paul says he will come in judgment on the unbeliever. And because of the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If you live in the light of the second coming, you live in the light of judgment, right? We don't know how long we have to reach lost souls. Not only that, when he comes back, he says, Behold, I come quickly, Revelation 22, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. So when we look at the second coming, we look at it as a judgment and we look at it as a time of reward. And we serve Christ because there'll be a day when we can't serve him in that way and there'll be a day when we're rewarded for our faithfulness. This one week of your life, young people, this one week of your life, can you live it in the light of this text can you give yourself to a few days of finishing the work that Jesus began? Can you let him put his hands on your hands for a few days and accomplish through the power of his spirit something that you could never accomplish? Can you live eschatologically or can you live in the light of the second coming of Jesus Christ to reach souls for whom someday it'll be too late? Can you give yourself to the service of Jesus Christ for a few days? So that when he comes back, he can reward you for your faithfulness. He'll give you an opportunity to put your hands on his masterpiece and finish what he started. Don't miss that opportunity. That's the only way to live your whole life. Let's bow together in prayer.